Hello and welcome to this podcast summary of the joint board meeting held between the IASB and the FASB in Norwalk on the 21st to the 24th of May 2012. My name is Mark Byatt. I'm joined today by Alan Tashira, Senior Director of Technical Activities, and Ian McIntosh, who's Vice Chairman of the IASB. Hello, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Okay, um, perhaps Ian, uh, if you'd like to lead uh, and introduce the discussion on financial instruments, uh, perhaps starting with classification and measurement. Yes, thank you, Mark. You'll recall that we made a decision to um, reopen IFRS 9, and we had three main reasons for doing that. One was for convergence, one was in a hope that it may assist with the insurance project. And the third one was to tidy up some uh, deficiencies that had been revealed in the standard. And on the convergence front, and perhaps on the insurance front, the major item was whether we would introduce a new classification, one we used to have under OS39 fair value, through other co comprehensive income. And the ISB are considering it only in relation to eligible debt instruments, and we can explain this definition of those as we go forward. And to cut a long story short, we tentatively decided that we would introduce that category and that it would be for eligible debt instruments. Um, so that was a fairly major step forward and I suspect will be uh, controversial in some places. But there's a lot of detail to be worked through to cover that situation going forward. Um, then there was another discussion as to um, which measurement category out of the three we would now have, it being amortised cost, fair value through OCI and th fair val value through profit and loss, which one should be defined and which should be a residual. And after much discussion it was decided that uh, fair value OCI should be defined and fair value profit and loss should be the residual. Um, so they decided, uh, if you read the actual resolution, that financial assets will be measured at fair value OCI if there are eligible debt instruments, i.e. they pass the contractual cash flow characteristics assessment, and are held within a business model whose objective is to both hold financial assets to collect contractual cash flows and to sell financial assets. And those that fall outside of that or amortised cost would then be fair value to profit and loss. I think that's the major issues covered in that session. So quite a large decision, as I say, a tentative decision, but we'll be working on the detail of that going forward. Okay, thank you. Um, Alan, perhaps you could then stay with financial instruments and discuss uh, where the board's got to on impairment. Yeah, not a lot this, um, this month, Mark, but we did continue the discussions on um, impairment in relation to leases, um, because uh, we're just about to, to put the exposure draft out later this year on for exposing leases. And one of the questions they've ha asked is whether or not you should imply the same um, sort of impairment process to a lease receivable that you do to other financial instruments. Um, so just to recall again that both boards have actually um, agreed on a model with um, three categories. Um, so, you know, you've got your performing loans and then as loans become non-performing or advances become non-performing, they move into um, two categories either. You can say, you know, they're ones that aren't, they're at risk and then the ones that are not performing at all. Um, and, and the big thing is once you've actually moved them away from that first category, you're into what we call whole of or lifetime or whole of life or lifetime expected losses. And with a lease receivable, um, 
the question was whether or not we put into the first category and then have to reassess that annually and so on. Um, the board decided that an entity, or both boards decided an entity could, should be allowed to either do, apply the full model or, as a pragmatic or very simplified approach, just simply go straight to lifetime expected credit losses initially. So that, that simplifies that. Um, it's the same sort of thing that we're doing um, for normal receivables. Okay, thank you. Um, Ian, perhaps you could go on to the discussion on insurance, which I understand... Uh, insurance contracts? Yes. yes, we had more than six hours on insurance contracts, so we had a very long discussion. I should uh, mention too, Mark, that during this meeting, Monday through till the end of Thursday, um, ISB were on their own for a day and a half, so some of the discussions were joint and some of them were, uh, were just the ISB. But I think this insurance topic, there are all joint discussions. Um, the first thing we looked at was unbundling and the board's tentatively decided that if the investment component is distinct, an insurer shall unbundle. Now, we're going to have to watch translations and things when we get down to some difficult words of what's distinct and what's not, and we said that distinct means they're not highly interrelated. I don't know if we're getting much further there. And then we worked out indicators that would indicate that they're not highly interrelated. Um, but obviously it's very difficult um, to to get an absolute measure of whether they're related or not, or distinct or not. Um, if they are distinct, you unbundle them and you use the applicable IFRS or US GAAP if you're in US GAAP in accounting for the investment component. If they're not unbundled, you can't use those other standards. You must use the insurance contract uh, standard for uh, the bit that is uh, the investment component. Uh, risk adjustment and residual margin, you'll recall that um, the ISB uh, has a risk adjustment and a residual margin while FASB have a composite margin. Um, we reconfirmed, the ISB reconfirmed its uh, decision to have a risk adjustment and a residual margin. So it looks very likely that that will be a difference uh, in the two standards once they're completed, or certainly in the exposure draft anyway. Um, other comprehensive income, um, how we would use that and how it would be, um, how it would affect the profit and loss and other comprehensive income. There were no decisions made, but there was a very lengthy and very interesting uh, discussion on this point, which really showed that um, while we think we're getting the balance sheet right and having, having these things at fair value, how they're treated in the comprehensive uh, income or profit and loss account is really quite difficult. And, uh, and we'll we have more discussions on that, I'm sure, as we go forward. And we didn't make any uh, decisions at this meeting. Yeah, and of course, most of the concerns, Mark, are about volatility, um, in that there's a, the perception that if we don't get this right, we will introduce um, volatile income measures that are accounting-induced as opposed to economically-induced. And, of course, one of our concerns is to make sure that, that we don't have um, you know, income going up and down just because of accounting reasons. And it's, it's, it's appropriate if it reflects economic volatility, but we don't want to introduce something that people perceive as being artificial. That's right. And so another decision we had to make in that regard is whether it would be compulsory to go into the OCI category. This is in relation to the third category. Um, or whether uh, it could be a choice. And we'll have some more interesting discussions on that because people are pointing out to us that 
sometimes you would have a better a better accounting match if they put it into um, profit and loss rather than OCI. Um, there was a tentative decision to be uh, that it should be a requirement, uh, but it was a very close call, and we have had people talking to us since pointing out some difficulties that that might give them. So it may be that um, that we have another look at that situation, but you know, time will tell. This project's been going on for a long time, and every time we turn over a stone, we find some more problems. I think those are the. Um, we discussed acquisition costs uh, and, and what would go into other comprehensive income. And uh, we'll be continuing with this long discussion at the next meeting. I think we had something like 15 papers on insurance. So this, yeah, uh, and there's a fairly big chunk coming up again in, uh, in the June meeting uh, as well. Okay, something to look out for. Um, Alan, perhaps you could cover off the discussion on investment entities. Okay, so just to recap, investment entities, we have uh, had an exposure draft out um, that proposes a, um, an exception to consolidation in the case of what they call in the US and Canada and a couple of other jurisdictions, investment companies. So, so these are entities that, um, when they acquire assets, the, the idea is they're supposed to be managing them. Usually um, people invest in them, so that the classic case might be a pension fund where people are, are um, in investing in those funds. Um, they're expecting um, to monitor the fair values of those, then that's the sort of information that's provided to them. And you might have a situation where one of those investment funds it's, itself ends up having a controlling interest in another entity. And the question is whether you should then consolidate all the individual assets and liabilities, or which is what we do when we control normally, or whether you should have an exception and simply um, show the net investment at fair value. And um, we're very anxious um, at the ISB to, to have the project um, move reasonably quickly on this because um, we've got a new standard on consolidations, IFRS 10, that takes effect on 1 January next year and the, we want to make sure that nobody goes into IFRS 10 and then back out again with the exception. Um, so we had a look at some pretty fundamental decisions and they're around the, the scope of this um, and, and really trying to identify what an investment entity is. Now, it'll be obviously a lot easier for people to read ISB update, um, but, but essentially the, the main criteria are um, the, the investment entity, um, the definition we have, the, the entity itself must obtain funds from an investor or investors um, and provide them with professional investment management services, so that type of thing I talked about, a pension fund. It's got to commit to the investors that its business purpose and the only substantive activities are investing in funds for capital appreciation or, or dividends and so on. They have to manage and evaluate the performance on a fair value basis. Um, essentially, you know, that, those characteristics I, I really talked about. Um, the board's also had a look at application guidance, and uh, again, it's too detailed to talk about in, in a podcast, but ISB Update then just goes through some of the more detailed, um, I guess, discussions that we had about how to actually apply those definitions. Um, I will say that that, that, deals, that kind of deals with the scope, and you'll see from looking at the criteria that it's a reasonably narrow scope because this is an exception to a standard. Um, in the next month, we're going to be talking about whether or not um, an investment entity that's part of a bigger group should be allowed to roll up or keep its accounting all the way up through the group, or whether we should just limit this, um, this, this exception to the investment entity itself. Okay. All right, thank you for that.
Um, moving on to one of the other discussions, which I, I found particularly interesting, uh, and that was the agenda consultation that the IASB began last year. Um, Alan, perhaps you could uh, give us some background to that discussion. Alan gave a very good paper on this. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ian. Um, <laughs> the uh, paper 13B, I recall, from, yes. uh, from last week, uh, essentially the, it, this is the first time we've had what is the three-year review of our uh, program. Um, and it, I think it's really important to think about this in the context of several things, including the, um, the, the review that our trustees did. Because what, what we've, I, th- I think we heard loud and clear is very consistent messages. Um, one is that people want us to um, provide more evidence, perhaps, to justify what we're doing. The way, what I hear from that is that people want us to basically justify, rationalise, and take it a little bit of time, I think, in actually building standards. And what we've dis- um, the board decided to do and supported um, was development of, of several phases. Um, to start with, conceptual framework is very important, so we're going to reinvigorate that project, uh, and we're looking at five chapters. Um, so we're looking at elements, which is definitions of assets and liabilities, for example, uh, a measurement chapter, and I think everybody acknowledges that our measurement chapter we have now um, is, is not very helpful. It just describes a few um, measurement attributes. Uh, we also are going to look at presentation, uh, and the presentation, um, I think, looks at OCI, and that's something that's very important now, the comprehensive income. We've seen, you know, Ian's mentioned today about the use of OCI in insurance, um, trying to understand when it's appropriate to use it, whether you should recycle, all those things are fundamental. We're also going to look at a disclosure um, chapter. Um, we've had quite a bit of debate recently about what people perceive to be overload or clarity. So we're going to have a look at, at what the, the characteristics of a good financial report would be conceptually. Um, that may end up spilling down eventually into um, adjusting some of the standards where we might go through and, and apply those principles to maybe um, modify the disclosure requirements and standards, but that, that'll be a little while away yet. Um, and the other chapter is on reporting entity. Um, we previously exposed a chapter, so really that's, that's but dusting off that chapter and um, reinvigorating that, that process. Um, I also add to that the board's also aware that you know you can make some improvements and disclosures within the con- constraints of the existing requirements, and we're looking to put together an international forum of um, preparers, um, regulators, who are a very important part of this, auditors, along um, with us to to discuss these issues um, in public uh, and see how we can actually um, get people to talk to each other and, and try to get some improvements and also learn to get some input into our the, the disclosure chapter. Yeah. Second thread is maintenance, just normal as we go. And we, you know, we recently concluded our review of the interpretations committee, um, so we really are um, quite keen to make sure that we have a responsive, um, um, but appropriate responsive. We don't want to get uh, to the point of of um, creating, you know, layer after layer of requirements, but an appropriately responsive interpretations process and improvements, narrow scope improvements. Um, so, you know, if there are small things that need to be done, as we do with annual improvements, we'll, we'll do that. Um, the third thing that happens automatically is our post-implementation reviews. Um, we did discuss a little bit of that um, during this meeting on um, IFRS 8, the, um, the operating segments standard. And that's something we'll do. IFRS 8 review is underway. We're about to put out a request for information. 
um, where we'll start one on business combinations later this year. Um, so that's part of our normal normal um, process. And then, of course, that, that leaves, if there is some spare time, and there's a bit, I'm sure, um, the rest of our program. And the idea is that we're going to have a research program, and that will then feed into a standards-level program. And one thing we that's part of our due process um, revisions is we've, we're moving, or suggesting that we move, our discussion paper down to the research phase. And it, it may be that we do some research, put a discussion paper out, and decide that's enough, there isn't really a problem worth fixing. In other cases, we will say, well, now we know we've defined the problem really well, we can feed that onto the um, standards level agenda. Um, the board's supportive of that, there's very strong support for that approach, and um, has the board approved um, or gave a strong indication that we should give priority to several projects. Mm -hmm. Now, they're, they're obviously listed in ISB update, but um, I'll just really quickly go through them. Um, probably the, the ones at the highest in terms of the ones we think we'll do first, uh, probably agriculture. Um, that's uh, a narrow scope thing to do with um, bearer crops in particular. Uh, rate regulated activities, um, the board discussed whether we need to either produce a standard or tell the world we don't need a standard or whether we should do some sort of grandfathering um, or a, an IFRS 4, which is, a, you know, allow people to continue current practice until we actually resolve it in the framework. We're also going to have a look at um, separate financial statements, a couple of issues there to try and simplify things for a couple of jurisdictions. We also think we need to recommence our research on emission trading schemes and business combinations under common control. So they're the ones we think will we'll probably feed into the standards level um, part of our program um, fairly quickly. Okay. All right, that's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, and I'm assuming, I think we're publishing a feedback statement uh, later in the year? Um, we're looking at the middle of the year, so sort of late, probably um, late July, maybe into August, we'll um, put a, a, both a feedback statement and also a strategy document. So they'll actually set out basically what I've described and, and lay out the, um, the priorities in terms of projects that uh, we're looking at. Excellent. Well, thank you for the comprehensive summary. Um, right, well, perhaps... Um, Ian, we could just do a, a brief wrap-up of the other projects discussed, yes. starting with leases. Yes, with leases. You recall we had some, on the model we were working on, we had some people worried about the fact that costs would be front-end loaded. This is mainly to do with the amortisation of the right-of-use asset. So we've spent two months on outreach, um, and we took to people four alternatives uh, for amortisation and asked for their comments. So this session was just uh, feedback on what people have said and um, there's a combination of people who want the traditional method of amortisation, there's others who want the straight line, the very straight line method and there's some who think we should have two different models depending on what the asset is. No decisions were made, it was a, a feedback session, we'll be picking it up again uh, next month. Revenue recognition again was a summary of feedback from outreach activities uh, and we'll be moving quickly we hope on that topic in July. Okay. Yeah, yeah. just because a couple of other um, projects we had in there, um, we did have a look at um, a transitional requirements for IFRS 10, that's consolidated financial statements and the board uh, confirmed a, a small um, little fix that we're doing there just to clarify that the transitional requirements uh, aren't as onerous as some people actually thought. Uh, and in addition, the board's um, agreed to some um, additional um, 
uh, say concessions, but simplifications in terms of transition. So I think it'll be a lot easier for people to step into into that new standard. Good. Okay. Well, it sounds like a very busy meeting. Um, next board meeting back in London. Week of eleventh of June. So it's uh, it's a very short gap between these two board meetings. Um, We've got uh, quite a bit on the agenda, so I think the main topics for the meeting coming up will be insurance and leases. Um, we'll be looking at July for, um, for a significant amount of work on revenue recognition. We'll also have financial instruments. Of course, because that's uh, certainly a priority to get the impairment in particular and the, uh, and the classification and measurement uh, wrapped up. Excellent. Okay, um, Alan, Ian, thank you for your time. That leaves me just to give the obligatory health warning that these are the uh, personal views of the presenters and may or may not represent those of the IASB. The official summary of the joint board meeting is provided by IASB Update, which is available from the IASB website. Thank you for your time. Thank you.